Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Chicago Bulls, and uh, with Penny and Shaq and 
And man, this takes me back to the playground in middle school. Man, this 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 series caused quite a few arguments, man. Quite a few <laughs> arguments. It was some it was some cussing and some hurt feelings and some battling about who was gonna win this series. And those were the days when, you know, cats got intense about their sports and really went at each other, man. I mean, mamas might have got called out, you know, shacking uh shacking uh Penny Hardaway with an upstarts and then you had the the contingent who you know, you couldn't mess with Mike and Scotty. I just watched Scotty drop step and bam on Penny um, in the post. Cats don't do that too much anymore. Not wing plays, but they just back you down, two dribbles, turn it, and bam on you. So it's bringing back a lot of memories, man. I'm I'm, I'm enjoying watching this real quick. I'm, I I got the DVR on. I'm going to have to save these, show them to my son one day. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, I got the fellas in the house. We got another slamming show for you listeners out there, and we're going to get right into it. Uh to my right, I got my man, D-Wheels. Holla at the people. What's up? I'm Steph Curry with it. I might, I might shoot and then run down court before I hit ball. I don't know how he does that. <laughs> run, he's turning and running before we hit, looking at the crowd or his ball, and that's what I might do tonight. All right. All right. <laughs> Steph Curry with the shot. All right. We got my man on my left. My man, 100 grand, T Sports, PhD. What's happening, Captain? See, I'm that cat that John Cheney from Temple sends into the game to uh, <laughs> to intentionally foul Steph Curry after he does that. You know, I'm his goon. <laughs> that was one of the all-time press conferences, too, man. <laughs> so, John, you know, the reporter asked him on, John, what, did you, what happened there? I got myself a goon. <laughs> and I sent him out there to goon it up. <laughs> remember, remember he came in Calipari? I'll kick your, I'll kick your ass. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yes, he, did. he was old school to the T, man. He was old school to the T. Was it? They don't make him like that no more, man. This oh. dude, not only did he put in a player to intentionally harm people, he. Owned up to it in the press conference. <laughs> <laughs> like that was a like that was a, a okay tactic. Like that was above board. <laughs> like that was good form. You know what I'm saying? He just totally owned it. Like it was good form. Like yeah, you know what? Got myself a goon. Um, I sent him to the game. I told him to goon it up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they run up the score. I didn't like it too much. <laughs> wow, man. It's just wild, man. It's just wild. Oh, man, we have a slamming show for you all tonight. All guests and hosts appear via the Frederick County Gateway. Frederick County is tax time, folks. They are the official accounting firm of the Renegades. Make sure you hit them up. Get those taxes done. You got one day left. All right, they may be able to work some magic for you. Tell them the uh, uh, real sports guy sent you. Tell them you're a renegade, and they'll help you out. All right, so hit up Frederick's accounting before tomorrow. If the IRS, man, you don't want to mess with the IRS. Death taxes in San Antonio in the playoffs. You feel me? <laughs> you don't want to mess with those things. Those things are, are all right now inevitabilities as far as my adult life goes, right? Those things are all on the way. Um, D. Wills. We got something special uh, to to get into the NCAA tournament, uh, which is a great tournament, a lot of fun, especially, you know, being a, 
a member of the uh, alumni of the Wisconsin University of Wisconsin and, and a Badger and having a brother to play there and all that good stuff. Um, up here, we've been we've been partying um, up until that last game. We was partying hard, man. We was partying hard here at Madison. Um, things didn't go our way in the championship game, and we'll get into that in a second. But it was a great run, very exciting tournament. Um, and we had the RSG tournament challenge again this year. So, D. Wills, I'm going to bring you in. Let's talk about the results. All right. Well, it's it's always great to have my point guard just set me up. I had to slap a glass on that one. Um, But uh, uh, see, y'all youngers know nothing about that. Y'all know nothing about slapping glass. (laughs) That means you got to square up to the basket. We'll talk about that later. But I digress. Um, RSG Tourney Challenges. First of all, you know, we have a great sponsor who we'll bring in uh, in a minute. But what's unique about this is you have to – you have to beat the real sports guys. So if we occupy all top three spots, you know what? As we just, as I used to say when I had a, a five-yard loss on a tackle, you get nothing, and you like it. You know, that, that's the player and the coach. Uh, didn't go well, well when I went to college. Uh, coach George, uh, I know that. But anyway, you, you, you get nothing. And so that's what I love about it because you have to, you have to compete against us. And – Usually it's two or three of us. Phil, we'll talk about him later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't sleep on me this year. I did my thing this year. I picked all yeah, he, four final four teams. Yeah, he, he came back. He came back. I was a little nervous. He came back. Um, but it was an exciting tournament, exciting challenge. Came down to really the last game uh, with Duke and, uh, uh, and Wisconsin. I was holding that top spot. Um, and uh, we have our, our winner with RG Challenge here, but it can't happen without just having good support and a really good person, person who's part of the family from the beginning. You know, we come up with our five-year anniversary and we'll, in a couple of weeks, and we'll talk about that soon. You know, who thought, you know, when we started out just trying to join And This guy has been with us from the beginning. He's one of our early callers. He was giving us a hard time. He was in the instant, we used to have the instant message feature where we were typing stuff back and forth. He was in that state uh, that we were using. Uh, it's LR, our man, Larry Randall, CEO of Resistance Digital Solutions, is here tonight. How you doing, Larry? I'm doing good, guys. Uh, I just want to echo those sentiments. I mean, this tournament, you know, I, I told you I thought it was a lot of hot garbage in it, and I was right. <laughs> but, you know, the champions came out in the end. We kind of talked about it during the show. And uh, I, that's probably the most fun I've had watching the tournament because I, I didn't know who was going to win. I mean, I, I thought Kentucky was going to take it, but um, it was exciting, very exciting. Well, first of all, I, I want to thank you um, for, you know, first of all, being a supporter of us, you know, this little idea, you know, uh, you know that we had and we kind of been pushing it and you kind of been there along the way. And, you know, and as we brought this tournament challenge on and, you know, going our own platform, you just have kind of been there. And, you know, Larry brings in, and he, he does a lot of support with us. And y'all make sure y'all go out and support him. It's not just about the products he provides, but it's the, the technical support, his willingness to support. And so you've you've been all in, and I really appreciate that, you know, from the guys, from, from all of us who are trying to push this. Um, but we had an interesting uh, time this year. So let, let's go over the prizes that you had for us this year that you share, the first, second, and third place prizes that we had available this year, give people a pace so when you, you get ready for next year. All right. Well, the third-place winner this year goes out to Mr. Frank Mendez. 
uh, is actually a friend of mine who uh, our kids are the same age and they play on the same baseball team. I've been slowly getting him involved in uh, listening to the show, and he's definitely a big basketball fan, so he was pretty excited. He thought he was going to win, and I was making fun of him. I told him he wasn't going to win, but uh, he ended up getting a prize, and his prize is a $25 gift certificate to Resistance Digital Solutions. And as I was saying, don't underestimate that prize. You can put that towards any purchase or service that I'm providing for you. Um, people have used it in the past, and I've had a lot of good success with that. So uh, I want to congratulate Mr. Frank Mendez. Second place, Mr. Devon Wilson. So none of our listeners get a prize because Devon was holding it down. You I mean, get my... nothing. You get nothing. Hey. the game up. Yes, D- Devon held it down for everybody because my bracket sucked. I ain't even going to lie. It was bad, and I, I don't know. I'm just going to crumple it up and ball it up and throw it in the garbage. So I'm glad Devon was uh, there to hold it you, down. You know what? I feel like Barkley and Phoenix, man, this year. I had to go 36 and 12. And get yeah, like every seven, night. Seven and six. I, yeah. I had to hear it every night, man. <laughs> yep, so so he he was carrying the water for all of us this year. So good job, Devon. And our first place winner is Mr. Lamar Powell. Congratulations, Lamar. He is actually going to be receiving a 24-inch Samsung HD TV. This TV retails for $199.99, and it is going to Lamar for a great job this year in the tournament. Congratulations, Lamar. Thank you. And, and, and let me let me bring Lamar on. So, so before I set Lamar and bring him on, you gotta understand. So we had you know we have a couple of we have a, a group of RSG listeners and uh, who have uh, kind of been contributors to the show, been around, and like we all get together to uh, to in the area to watch the game. And so Lamar is one of the people I watch the game. And you gotta understand, we've been he's a Duke fan. And I was representing Wisconsin. We were talking trash all night long because Kaminsky was doing hairdos. And so at the end, it's over. We have we, And we start talking, and he shows me the standings. So after all that I took that night, because anybody knows, even when I'm down and out, I still talk trash. He shows me that he got first place. And I'm like, hey, that's like salt in the wound. Uh, I've been talking trash all night, and you got first place. But I want to welcome you. Uh, Duke fan and all, how's it feel? Hey, it feels good. So good, baby, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I know your brother's mad. He's a Carolina fan. Yep, he's still mad and talking about it. <laughs> well, when you get that screen up, you know, make sure that I get a chance to look at it. No doubt. <laughs> well, we want to congratulate you, uh, if you can do it again back to back next year, uh, we appreciate everything. Uh, make sure you connect with uh, uh, Larry. We'll follow up with you to to make sure this is taken. Larry, I want again thank you for uh, everything that you've done to support us to get us going. From getting people to listen, from contributing to the show, to everything. You know, we all got that connection from BC, and that's what it's all about. You know, kind of like Duke tried to got that group. We got our group. You know, we we have uh-huh. unknown fraternities that make it run, and it's good to have one of them on board helping us out. We appreciate it, brother. That's right. Hey, thank you, guys. I appreciate everything, too. All right. Keep listening. 
All right, that's it, y'all. Until next year, step your game up. You better get out there, work on your stuff. stuff. Go back and look at that, listen to that podcast that we have on how to set your game up. There's a lot of of key things in that, telling you how to do it. If you want to compete with me, I'm always going to be in it. Game Jay is going to be in it. And even Phil T., who's coming back in the mix right now, will be in it. We're going to hand it over to Game Jay. Yeah, give me some time. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give you some time. You get your game up. We're going to bring we gonna Game Changer back in. We're going to give you some time in a second, brother. We're going to get all back to everything we get into on a nightly basis. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to get, get the flow going in a second. All right? But, hey, again, thanks to LR. Make sure you hit him up at resistancedigital.com. Make sure you hit him up. Make sure you hit up the website. Uh, great resource. Has great product for you at a very, very good price. Uh, make sure you check him out. He'll come to your home provide in-house service, um, just very accommodating, um, a very well-run business. All right, so make sure you check out our man, LR. Uh, he, he's doing big things, and he's holding it down, and he's holding us down again. He's, he's an original. He's an OG in the house. Um, he is, you know, to, to D-Will Suge Knight, you know, he's in the background holding it down. He's the Warren G, the, uh, the, uh, the OG holding, the, holding us down in the background. We're going to keep this right. thing going. Right. Exactly, exactly. We are the Real Sports Guys. This is the, uh, the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG Renegade Radio, back in full effect. Um, NCAA tournament, fellas. Let's go ahead and chop it up real quick around the tournament. Um, PhD, let's get into your bracket, man. You, 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 had, you, know, you, you had some unorthodox picks to begin, um, but you got the Final Four right. Break this down. How does this work, man? I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you do, man, and I, I think I just need to let you explain it to me, brother. Uh, it was just dumb luck, honestly. Um, <laughs> really no, really no thing to to explain. You know, just just for the audience to understand. After the first weekend, I was ninety five percent of our participants were doing better than me in our bracket challenge, maybe even 96%. Um, I was under 50% for the first weekend in terms of picking games. The national average is like 79%. Um, Mm. And after the Sweet 16 weekend, I ended up picking all four of the final four teams correctly. Okay, Initially, that sounds like a great thing, but when you understand that a quarter of the people who participated in pools throughout the country picked three of the four Final Four teams correctly because there were three number one seeds. Um, but, but this is what tripped me out, was I got all excited, okay, because I moved from the 90-some percentile to I was like in the middle of the pack, you know, going into Final Four weekend. And in our site, we could do all these scenarios, you know, to see, hey, if, you know, if you, you know, if you pick the champion, this is how high you can go. Well, what was sad for me because I did so bad, regardless of how my final four teams did, I would go no higher than the 40th percentile and no lower than the 53rd percentile. Um, <laughs> and I'm not sure if that's ever happened in the history of brackets that somebody picks all four Final Four teams correctly, but they still had zero chance to win. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but 
I picked all four right. I beat you this year, Marcus. Um, so that that buys me at least a year or two of of just um, you know, no no BS from you guys, no jokes from you guys. That's that's gotta buy me at least two years of that. Uh, and I and I will I will acquiesce. I will give you that because I I stunk it up this year. I mean I stunk it up. My bracket was boo boo. <laughs> it was horrible. Uh, you know, and this is one of those years where it was so so much of a crapshoot that I looked at my bracket when I was picking and I was like, you know what, man? I don't know which of these teams is gonna do anything because all of them could lose on the first day. You know, it was just one of those. Other than Kentucky, everybody was really susceptible to getting knocked off early on. So it was really hard for me to pick this year. Obviously, that is um, completely evident in the lack of success within the bracket challenge this year. Um, you do own those rights to brag. Um, I think winning is important. And when you win, there are laurels and spoils that come with that, and you have earned those spoils. So you have the bragging rights for the next uh, year until we do the challenge again next year, and hopefully I rebound. And well, not hopefully. I'm gonna have to do some home. I'm gonna be ready next year. I'm gonna, I'm gonna run my um, I'm gonna run my numbers. I'm gonna get my game right next year. This year is just it was it was a weird year for me, man. It was a weird year for me. But um, I bounce back. I bounce back. I'll be back. You know, it was a weird year of fantasy stuff all around. My basketball team was shaky this year. Um, we'll get into that too. Uh, my fantasy hoops team was shaky. I made some trades. I had to, you know, I had a dynasty that was kind of rolling, but we were injury prone, you know. But in this year, you know, without Paul George, things just didn't go right, and I had to make some moves, trying to rebuild for next year on the fly. But I digress. D. Wills, how'd you be? So you had a chance. You had Wisconsin um, in the Final Four. You had a chance. You knocked somebody out of some money out of a prize, which we appreciate you for that because we won't one of us has to crack that top three and take a and take a spot. Right. You know, one of us has to crack yeah. that top three and take a spot and you held that down for us this year. So hats off to you, my man. Yes. You know, and I want to thank my chiropractor because my back was hurt. Uh and so <laughs> I it was I, I need to go to IR to, to, to carry that this year. But uh you know, yeah. cannot play with him. Cannot win with them. <laughs> Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. Hey, man, you wouldn't carry a bit this year, man. You wouldn't carry a I'm not taking that. You know, it was, hey, you know, for some reason, I had a, I had a formula. It, you know, you go back and, uh, you know, Game Changer, we, we did the little segment where we played kind of our pre-tournament conversation around the Final Four and whatever. You remember that? When I played in that segment. And everything I was saying kind of came to it was something like I just, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, every once in a while, you know, I think we've all done pretty well in these tournaments. But I think each – there's always one of us. And that's what I love about this challenge because I have confidence that one of us will pull it together. And this year just happened to be my year to do it. And, it's, and some of it was I just – I had this gut feeling about – the role not just point guards would play, but the role that some of these bigs with mobility might play with passing their teams. And uh, and in Wisconsin, when I looked at it, I, I was like, I was nervous saying, that just felt right. Um, and right now, it's in the last four minutes, you know, 
I was like, you know, when we they were up about five or, or or no nine was it, you know, and so I was up there and all them Duke fans in the room it was quiet, like you know they were in church under the pew, you know, nervous trying to figure out what excuse to go with. I was I was talking and all of a sudden that young guy Grayson, looking like Opie Wine Kenopi, uh, went on his game and got clowning on him, and then uh, they kind of and Coach K ran his magic, but it was it was it was a great tournament to watch. Um, and, the, and the irony of it, the part I love is the can't trust it list pretty much held pat for the most part. Like, I'm still trying to figure out, is Jay Wright the witness protection program? Because he didn't come on CBS, did he? He didn't do any interviews this year, right? <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, he just decided, I, he must have been listening. They are who we thought they were. Right? He didn't do it. Did he, he didn't end up on CBS. He was like, I cannot show up on that CBS set this year. Cause people I think he got that out. call from his AD. I think his AD texted him after the game and was like, yeah, you know, um, not this year. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, uh-uh. You know, and the can't trust it list continues to look in, so we start seeing movement. But it was a great tournament. You know, I, I saw a couple of players even. This, I had a chance to uh, talk to Duye a little bit the other day and, uh, you know, a little bit with him and, 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 and you know, the players are doing well. You know, but all the stories that came out of it with, you know, Bo and, and, and uh, you know, Coach K and, you know, even Izzo, you know, you know, Izzo working his magic. You know, people talk about Coach K, but if you talk about a guy like Izzo who just, you know, when we talk about championships and stuff later on, Izzo's a great example of somebody who is great. He don't have his five championships, but – if you had to pick between Izzo and Coach K, it ain't gonna be that easy. You know, if you if you gonna say I'm a I'm gonna put this coach for the tournament, you know, if you just look at the record and the consistency of going deep, you know, you got to give Izzo. I think Izzo's the lost story on this, given that that Michigan State team, you know, they got they got undressed a little bit in the Final Four, but you know, he he put some window dressing on that. So yeah, I enjoyed it, man, and it all came together. And I saw those four teams go in. I just knew I was going to be a number one. I wanted to take the monitor off. I want people to cry and just be looking at me at the top of it. I was going to take a picture of me holding the monitor, like maybe next year. So we got we got to get back <laughs> into it and do it. It just felt right. You know, next year I'm going to be down there at the bottom. But uh, for this year, whew, it feels good to, to have battle. Yeah, yeah. And the badges, the badges helped you get to that spot, man, and it helped out a lot. So let's get into what did we learn from this tournament, fellas? You know, every year you can come away with a few takeaways that you can have uh, or something that just stuck out over the over the last couple of weeks since the last time we were on air, something that happened, comments made, or anything like that. It just kind of stuck with you and gave you a different perspective on this whole situation. I'll start with you, PAC. Something that stuck with you from this tournament. Like Larry mentioned, this this was one of the, the better NCAA tournaments that I enjoyed watching probably in the last five or six years. And I guess the reason I enjoyed it the most was because you had you had somebody to root for or root against in Kentucky. And <clears throat> Kentucky lost in the Final Four, but in my mind, that's not like they still had an excellent season. And it's frustrating to hear people be critical of them or critical of Coach Pickell because they lost one game <laughs> this season. Um, so. I think just having that spark fire type of team, regardless of you in the barbershop or you at the water cooler at work, whatever it is, 
everybody was talking about Kentucky, either for or against them, or they just wanted to watch. And I had the uh, fortune of watching them, um, the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 game in Cleveland. And I tell you what, for that Sweet 16 game, Wichita State and Notre Dame played in the early game, um, the 7 or 8 o'clock game, and then Kentucky played after them. And it was a great game with Van Fleet and Wichita State playing Notre Dame tough. It was a great game. But it felt like a JV game. It felt like, you know, you go into a high school game and the JV is kind of playing and beginning of the game, the stadium's half full. Then towards the fourth quarter or, the you know, the end of the second half, the varsity crowd is starting to file in. That's just what it felt like because if Quicken Loan Arena holds 25,000 people, I would say easily fifteen to 17,000 people were there in their Kentucky Blue. And they didn't show up until the second half or even in between the first and second game. And once Kentucky came out, it just felt like, okay, I get it. And they beat that West Virginia team, I believe it was about 30 or 40 points. Um, the statistic I remember for that game is, had Kentucky not scored a point in the second half, they still would have won. <laughs> oh, so for wow. me, what I learned was just um, parody is cool, but it's something about having that giant there. And to me, I had to get to those games because it felt like I was watching the 90-91 UNLV team again. You know, a team that's mm-hmm. been dominating all year, and you just want to see the history. Um, and, you know, unfortunately they lost, but I think the college, the, the game of college basketball came out as a winner because Kentucky brought something to the table that we haven't seen in a few decades. Love it, man. Yeah, I, I, right. I, and I love the UNLV comparison because, you know, on so many levels, I think they had that level of kind of a uh, renegade flag um, where it was like, you know, it was us against – it was them against the world, their fan base against everybody else's fan base. Everybody was rooting for them to go down. Um, you know, they had a coach who, you know, had a little bit of some, some questionable tactics around recruiting and that kind of deal um, and all the talent in the world. Um, so I, I like that. I like that. Um, I like that a lot. Uh, D. Wills, what did you learn from this tournament, man? What did you, what'd you get from this? Um, there's a couple things. Coaching still matters. And um, being able to um, compete even when you struggle offensively still matters. And um, the one thing I've, I've, I've learned uh, about this is that no matter what we say about the college game, that for this period of time, you don't, other than some of the marquee players that we, we talk about, from some of these, uh, you know, blue chip programs, um, the story of young people competing for something special still gets people riled up. Um, it's one of the the, the sporting phenomena that still is growing, and, and, and they, they caught a sweet spot that it doesn't really matter who the actors are. There's always going to be a one shiny moment. And the other thing is that it's something that, given that, this is this is uh, um, a stretch that's full of fool's gold, meaning that um, players are going to over 
um, estimate their worth and wealth based on this experience to their detriment long term. Coaches are going to over uh, overestimate their wealth in in positionality and make moves and changes to spaces that might not fit them. That 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 the danger of fool's gold based on how you come out of this space is uh, is always interesting to watch. The aftermath, what people decide to do and don't do, from players to coaches to to institutions to whatever, um, you know, are there are there still people who have perspective even in these moments? And uh, you always um, are shown that there is it, whether it's uh, coaches or players or folks at, at press, press conferences or institutions making moves on, on coaches firing or hiring or coaches leaving or staying or players leaving or staying, that there's a fool's goal element that we see that's part of this that's built on this magical ride, that when the dust falls, you, you know, what you thought you saw wasn't really there. And that's something that is just part of the game. Nothing you can do about it. It's what happens when you have something like that that's, that's this exciting, this emotional. Yeah, um, I, I love it. I love everything you said. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna end this segment with my my three takeaways from the tournament. Um, my first takeaway: uh, the one and done is actually a very good thing for college basketball. Um, you know, people gave Bo Ryan some flack about some of the comments that he made when he talked about the rental player, a comment that was taken out of context. He wasn't necessarily yeah. disparaging Duke, but he was just talking about how when they were, they were asking him about it. No, yeah. did you hear the whole interview? They were asking they were about interview. Was the relationship he built with his players, and he said, we don't do the rental player thing. We have guys for four years. And so, yes, it was hard. There was some emotion involved in that team losing. So he wasn't disparaging it. He was just saying, we have guys for four years, and so they were asking him about the emotional investment of it. And so that's what he was speaking to. When you watch a guy grow and develop for four years, there is some emotional investment. Now, could he have used a different term other than rent a player? I'll give anybody that. Yeah. Rent a player sounds bad, but when you put it in the context of what he was talking about, he wasn't he wasn't necessarily going after Coach K or anybody, anything like that. But what I will say is the thing that Wisconsin fans have to acknowledge some of those that kind of do believe in that, well, we do it differently. Listen, the only reason we were in, in this situation is because of the one and done, all right? When you look at players who if guys had to stay three, four years in college who would have been seniors, <laughs> you're talking about a bad Kentucky team, right? You're talking about a Kentucky team that was loaded. <laughs> they would have been super loaded had they had juniors and seniors, some of the guys. We're talking about Anthony Davis, uh, Brandon Knight. You know what I mean? Julius Randle, you know, Michael Kidd, Gilkey. We talk about guys like that who still be in college. There's no way a Wisconsin is making the, um, the uh, finals with, against those guys. Just period, all right? Just, there, there's a reason Kaminsky's mid-lottery and he's not a top pick. Even though he's a player of the year, he's a talented player, but he wouldn't be able to hold a candle to some of those guys that I'm talking about who would be juniors and seniors. So the one and done is good for a team like Wisconsin because it gives us a chance to make a run like we made this year. And you have to acknowledge that. If, you, if you're not acknowledging that, you know, you're taking this whole situation out of context, you're not really paying attention to it. The second thing that uh, that I got from this tournament is pros matter. you got to have pro other than Michigan State, and it's yet to be seen. Maybe they had a hidden pro on that squad somewhere. But the three big dogs in this tournament, Duke, Wisconsin, Kentucky, all had at least two pros on their squad. 
Um, and it's probably been the first time in a long time since, you know, maybe Michael Finley, Richard Griffin, but Wisconsin has had two legit pros on the team at once. And you see how far they got. So having pro players, again, people may despair as the one and done. Talent matters. Coaching matters, yeah. but having pros matters. And when you look at the teams that made it, they had pros. Um, the other thing, the tournament is, is, is the washing machine. Everything comes clean in the wash. And what I mean by that is, is a lot of coaches get by um, during the regular season by being able to handpick their schedule, the non-conference schedule to get the handpick. They know the conference really well. And so they can get by um, winning 30, 26, 27 games. But when you get into the tournament, you get exposed in certain situations and there's not that control for some of the coaches. You don't get to control your matchups. You don't know your opponent really well. And whoever can coach is going to make it through. So, yes, having pros matters, but when you look at the four coaches that made the Final Four, you're talking about some, some master-level coaches, and there's a reason for that. You know, you've got to be able to coach to, to make it that far in the tournament, and the tournament exposes coaches who can't. <clears throat> Jay Wright, you know what I mean? When, you, when all you got is a certain – when all you got is a fastball or a knuckleball or a changeup and you've got nothing else, you get exposed in the tournament. Um, so those are my three takeaways. You know, the one and done is good for college basketball because it does create opportunity for places where kids can stay three, four years to have a run like Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin was like um, a mid-major on roids. You know what I mean? It was the Tony Mandridge of mid-majors. When you think about the kind of a situation that they have and the type of players that they have, they have talented players who stay for four years. That doesn't happen anymore. They made a run, you know. Again, if everybody's staying three or four years, Wisconsin might not have made the Sweet 16. Honestly, with that team, they might not have made the Sweet 16. When you really look at who would still be playing college basketball right now if guys couldn't leave right away. You know what I mean? Kentucky would have had a front line of Nerlens Noel, Anthony Davis, <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns, <laughs> and Willie Cauley-Stein. You know what I'm saying? And maybe those guys are spread out at other places in this hypothetical situation. But still, having Anthony Davis on any team in the, in the NCAA tournament is, is not fair, okay? It's just not fair. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just not okay. So, you know, we, we, we take what we can get, but you can't, you can't you know, you can't disparage the, the one and done and then enjoy what happened and understand within that, without that context, that run may not have happened um, for, for the Badgers. So, Pav, you sound like you had a little, a little um, discrepancy, a, a little, uh, a little something in your voice when I said when we were talking about those comments. How how'd you feel about that? I did. So so I'm with you in regards to Bo's statements about rental player. I'm I'm fine with that. The reason I you know was clear in my throat was the interview that he did with Tracy Wilson after the game. You know, outside the locker room immediately after the game, that rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and, you know, in that position, you're representing your institution, you're representing your players, and, you know, he complained that entire 90-second interview about the referee, <laughs> you know, about, you know, he even made a statement like, listen, we like we're used to rough playing the Big Ten, but this was like this wasn't even 
Like, this was worse than the Big Ten. Like, this is more physical than the Big Ten. I got guys in there having a, a hard time with that. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, this this is just it's not the time. It's not the time. And he came off, well, Ryan, in my opinion, came off as um, a sour grape loser. Yeah, and, yeah, I agree. Know, I agree 100%. You know, I, I clearly don't know him as well as you two do. I mean, you all personally uh, know Bo Ryan. Um, you know, I've never met him. I've never, you know, had dinner with him. And, you know, like I, I've never done all these things that you all have done. You all personally know that him. Um, but, and that may have been the first time I've seen Bo being interviewed. And I always knew he was a little rough around the edges, but that just came off as, Come on, man. Come on, man. You better than that. You know, say what you're supposed to say and get one or two punches in. This cat went straight Mike Tyson punch out. Cold 90 seconds, he's swinging punches. I'm like, wait a minute, man. Wait. Well, he's from Jersey, man. He came, but, uh, you know, he's, he's built by that, that Dick Burst Judy Brown. You know, over there, in that, what is in his mouth comes out. And you're right, the timing is not the best place for it, um, for him to say it. Yeah, and, and it didn't come off the right way. And so you, you got to say that. It, it came off as sour grapes. I mean, we yeah, got, and that's, a, that's the one that thing. Way. That's the one thing that irks me about the Wisconsin fan base is that sometimes yeah. I feel like Bo can do no wrong, and. If if that had been Calipari talking like that, the Wisconsin fan base would have lost their mind. Oh, he's so arrogant. Or Pacino. Or Coach K, he's a jerk. He's arrogant. But when it was Bo, and because he was expressing the sentiment they identified with, it was okay. But I agree with you 100% PAD. I felt like it was it was truly sour grapes, and it was not a good moment for him. It was not a good yeah. moment for him. He didn't the present himself in a way that I think. Yeah. yeah. The game for him came out of this. Backcourt, backcourt being able to do something, and Decker going hard off the dribble and create something. At the moment where he needed something, they didn't. And then Grayson came back. I mean, it came down to a series of about four or five minutes of play that, yeah, there were some calls, but it was about who was aggressive and who wasn't. And that's what you learn from. I mean, that game was about who, who inflicted their will on the game from the backcourt or from the perimeter. And where Decker was taking people off the bounce in previous games, he didn't do it. So he kind of created an effect that you normally get with a guard. He created that effect. But he didn't do it, so then they didn't have anybody else in the backcourt doing it. Versus when you look at Duke, who did it down the stretch? It was those, cats, those young cats in the backcourt. Still had Similac on their mouth. That was like, we, look, we here. <laughs> We said, when you got when you got a freshman who don't even look at the bench and pull up and hit the three, you know what what needs to happen is some of these Midwest coaches got to figure out why are these kids leaving the Midwest. I need to grab something. Beeline, bowls. Well, well, that's the other thing that the one, but that's the other that's that's component of the one and done that nobody really talks about is yeah. that what it does do is it um it centralizes the talent because Duke yeah. has always got open spots. You know what I'm saying? Kentucky's yep. always got open spots. Whereas in the past, you know, 15 years ago, a kid like a Tyus Jones might have to go somewhere else because why? Brandon Knight or Eric Bledsoe or somebody is still at Kentucky. You know, name a guard yep. who's left Kentucky in the last three or four years 
who would still have some eligibility left, they're at Kentucky, so he's not going to go there because he's going to have to sit behind some All-American. You know, so instead he winds up at Minnesota, which is where he's from, or maybe he goes to a Wisconsin, you know, or Michigan, or, you know, someplace in the Midwest. But because there's always free spots at Kansas, there's always an open spot at Kansas, there's always an open spot, some open spots at Duke. Kentucky's always got some availabilities. You know, there's always some scholarships at these schools. So, you know, you'd be surprised. You know, I was looking at this the other day, watching the McDonald's All-American game, and how many guys are still undecided this late in the year. And a lot of them are undecided because they're waiting to see who leaves Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got top, you got guys in the top ten, you know, of ESPN 100, you know, high school seniors who haven't signed yet. You know, these guys, you got offers from everybody. What are you waiting on? I mean, they're not waiting on the one school. They're waiting on Kentucky, you know. And yep. what you'll see is Kentucky will have another slew of McDonald's All-Americans coming in because um, there are tons of guys who are unsigned out there. Um, so, you know, again, but what that does, though, is, you know, these schools have guys for one or two years who are really talented, and then they fade out. But then, you know, if you if you get the right collection of guys, you know, at, at a Wisconsin or Virginia or some of these places that are, you know, in high major conferences um, that are good basketball schools with good coaches, um, you can make a run to a Final Four off of the experience and the talent of your guys. But, again, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more of a firm believer you've got to have a couple of pros. You've got to have a couple of yeah. pros. You know, you just do. It matters. Um, so that's and, something and the one that thing I'm becoming I'll say, more and more I, believer. I know you're going to transition, but one thing I will say, that the the part of Calipari's thing that's brilliant, and we talked a little bit about this, which is part of the fool's goal, is his only promise is I'm giving you a rookie contract. Because yeah. when you track the data, most of those players don't get get the second contract. Well, not the kind of second contract they think they're going to get. So his promise, which is still brilliant, is I'm getting you the rookie contract. That's his promise. Right. But if you track the history of most of those players, a lot of them don't get the second contract or the second contract they thought they was going to get. Yeah. So, and that's, so that's the food love, And that's why I love PhD's UNLV comparison. Um, and I think that UNLV comparison is genius, yeah. and I think it's a spot-on comparison because when you look at it from a pro perspective, that UNLV team, as good as it was, you had Greg Anthony, Stacey Augman, and LJ. Those were the only guys who were really pros on that squad. I think this Kentucky team really only has, to me, three guys who are going to matter in the NBA. I think they have three guys who are going to matter in the NBA. I think – actually, I think two. Towns, Cauley-Stein, I think are the only guys on that team who are going to matter. They're guys who are going to make the league and be decent players. But, again, when you think about who has come through that program and who matters in the league right now from Kentucky – you're talking about Anthony Davis. You're talking about John Wall. You're talking about, you know, uh, uh, who's the Phoenix guy? Eric Bledsoe. But there aren't a lot of guys who have come through there who have gotten picked and who really kind of matter. You know what I mean? Who are like, this is yep. a guy. Brandon Knight had a good year this year. Um, and, he, you know, he kind of had a bit of a breakout year. Kid Gilchrist is still trying to find his way as a number two pick. Coach Cal will hide your weaknesses for a year and make and, and accentuate your strengths, and that's the beauty of what he does. He yeah, hides yeah. what you can't do. He shows everybody what you can do, 
and he convinces everybody you can be in the lottery. And as good of a coach as Coach Cal is, he still has not been able to figure out what it is the Harrisons do. <laughs> it's gonna take Houdini. <laughs> he still hasn't been able to figure out what what do the Harrisons bring to the table other than putting their head down and going to the basket. I tell you what, D Woods. I tell you what, you you don't know this P A Z because you're not in the heart of this whole Badger in, in the heart of Badger country. But yeah. as much as Wisconsin folks get on Trayvon Jackson about how he plays, they could not – I guarantee if one of the Harrisons played here, man, these people in Wisconsin's heads would be exploding, man. <laughs> if they can't deal with Trayvon Jackson, they could not deal with either of the Harrisons, let alone both of the Harrisons. <laughs> I mean, the looks on Cal's face when they play. I mean, they basically lost that game because they ignored everything he has. They just started yeah. taking over and would not go down low to town. Yeah, I mean, man, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of either of those guys, man. Especially given how much they were hyped, um, and 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 watching them play, I just don't see any of it. You know, it always makes me question Chad Ford. I don't know if he'd be watching these kids or not. <laughs> I, I, think, I, think he, I think he gets some payment or some some some. I don't know. He gets he gets some interviews. Something 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 happening there. Because I'm still yeah, not man. looking at him. He's not he's not giving me any. He he certainly don't have a good big board that I'm looking at. I always remind myself, this is the same dude that hyped up Darko and uh, Nikolaj Skilavili. Skilavili. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, yeah, you lose credibility after that. Yeah, yeah, you know, told me that uh, he was going, E. Gian Leon was going to be a beast. How about that? <laughs> that did not work out. That did not work out. Fool me once. But anyway, we got to pay some bills, so let's go ahead and do it. Now we're going to get into our Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell you technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. All right, fellas. It's that time. Every week, we give you our dog of the week where we uh, give a shout-out to somebody who has had their dog meter. you got to understand the dog meter is that intensity level, that intensity, that tenacity, that pit bull, that inner pit bull is on 10. You know, it's, it's frothing at the mouth, it's foaming at the mouth, it's barking loud. So somebody has had their dog up, their dog meter all the way up for the last seven days or more than that, uh, we got to give them a shout-out this time on the show every night. Every night, got to do it. Every time we're on, got to do it. So, fellas, PAC starting with you. You know how it goes. We need more dogs. Uh, I'm about to give my dog a week to somebody who um, I really didn't like this guy in terms of his style of play. I never thought that he would be somebody who could contribute to a team, to a good team. You know, I always thought this guy was a Ricky Davis type of cat, a guy that could average mm. 20 points on a really bad team. You know, mm. one of the reasons why the Ricky team is Davis. bad. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> Which, 
ask me about this later. LeBron had a Ricky Davis moment yesterday. So my dog of the week is J.R. Smith. Yes. Yesterday, I was at the Cavs game against the Pistons. And J.R. Smith tore it up. 28 points, 10 of 15 from uh, from the field, 8 of 13 from three. And over the past week, the past three games, he's shooting 60% from the three-point line. I tell you what, this guy, and he's shooting a lot, but he's shooting. He His shots are in rhythm. They're within the offense, and he's really filling in this young Ray Allen type of role that we saw him play with LeBron the last two or three years. So J.R. Smith is my dog of the week. I tell you what, this team continues to play to where they're playing. I think J.R. Smith might be their X factor. Not Kevin Love, but J.R. Smith. Uh, watch out. This team can go all the way. Mm. Mm. Okay. All right. So J.R. Smith gets PhD's vote for dog of the week. All right. D. Wills. We need more dogs. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about the, the men's tournament and everything, but I, my dog of the week is Gino Rayema. You know, the 10 national championships, the Huskies win it again. And, you know, he's having what Wooden had. You know, he, he's able to pull the players in, but he had the same type of opportunity to start like everyone else. And his ability to maintain greatness um, is just the way he's, had an impact. Uh, people, you know, people like, you know, where stores Connecticut? You know, it's like you can't find it. And somebody on the other show was saying it's, it's a P.O. box. And to have, you know, one of the most dominant, you know, teams coming out of that location doing what he's done, done you know, he's my, he's my dog of the week and uh, needs to be recognized. Love it, man. Yeah, you know, you know I'm all in on the Geno pick. Um, you know I'm all in on the Geno pick. So I got to preface my pick before we got to go ahead and hit the sound. We need more dogs. My pick of the, of this week um, is the Russell Westbrook went off for 54 points the other night on um, 43 shots. Um, Russell is not getting my dog of the week this week, though. My dog of the week goes to Kobe Bryant, who when asked about Russell Westbrook shooting 43 times, was like, yeah, he should have. <laughs> <laughs> As if Kobe Brown was going to say anything else other than, yep, yep, keep shooting, Russ, keep shooting. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> the, the, the so Kobe's my dog of the week for being Kobe and saying Kobe kind of crazy in front of microphones. <laughs> and I want to say the best one was when they asked uh, Westbrook about whether or not he was cheering for the Spurs, and he was just like, no. What hat am I wearing? I mean, this cat is just, like, ornery. He's just, he's in straight uh, a beast assassin mode. I've never seen anybody like him, man, other than Kobe, probably. He, I, I'm just loving him. That's another <laughs> cat. Yeah, Russ is always in F, he's always in FU mode. Like, I, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing that you can say, and it's like you just can't catch him at a time where he's like, let me hear you out. <laughs> He's playing. You know, he never was. He never. He never asked for clarification. You know, he just goes with. You know what? I don't have time for that. <laughs> he doesn't want you to clarify your thought. Maybe you want to phrase the question differently so I can understand what you're trying to ask me. He just usually like, you know what? Forget it. <laughs> that was a dumb question. <laughs> Let's move on. You know what I mean? And I don't mind that. 
I don't mind that. You know, he's got no time. He's got no time for the trash. I don't mind that at all. Well, fellas, it's NBA playoff time, um, and we're going to talk about the playoffs. We're going to get into this real quick. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSV, Renegade Radio. We're about to, hit, about to hit you with a segment we call Five on the Black Hand Side. That's where we drop five questions, and the guys, me and the guys take turns answering these questions. We're going to hit you a little something like this. Five, uh, five uh, uh, on the Black Hand Side. Yes, sir. Here we go. Starting off the five on the black hand side, NBA playoff edition. First question. This is an easy one, a little bit of a softball, more of a philosophical question. Do you think the NBA needs to tweak the playoff format? If so, what would you recommend? D. Wills. Yeah, I, I thought through this, and I, you know, I was playing around with whether or not, you know, maybe they needed to do some reseeding and, and everything else. And then, you know, I just started looking at some of the because, you know, most playoffs, particularly in professional sports, um, you, you evaluate by, you know, what's the ratings? What's the eyeball on? And when you look at the NBA, you look at its history, um, its history comes down to really about the teams. When you have the blue chip teams involved in that space, you get more eyeballs. I looked at the teams that have a, had a 10 or more rating uh, over probably the past 15 years. The teams you look at have consistent if they're in the finals. The Pistons, the Lakers, uh, the Celtics, um, and the Bulls. If you look at all those, when they're playing, they have a 10 or more rating. They have the highest ratings. And so, for me, it came down to less about the format. Is do you have your marquee teams in those spaces, and um, are they deep in the playoffs um, that provides the energy? Uh, but when I look at the NBA playoffs, I think some of the most exciting playoffs have happened over the past few years. And so, yeah, I was going to go with something, but I think it's really about, you know, do we have our marquee franchises involved? Whether it's you know, the Knicks, the East, or the Lakers in the West, I think that has a lot to do with the quality of the, of the playoffs. So uh, I went away with no. I, I don't. I don't think we need to tweak it. I think um, a, a lot of it, a lot of the tweaking has to do with the teams who are not making the playoffs in the lottery system, in the way in which um, folks. Is something that I look at, at at more. So that's that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Okay, okay. So D. Wills votes no tweaks. PhD, what's your assessment of that? No tweaks, none, nothing. The NBA is going to dominate the next six to eight weeks. It will dominate the the NFL. Will 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 have its weekend um, with the draft, but outside of that the NBA will dominate the next eight weeks in terms of the sports world. Opening day for baseball happened. Did you guys notice? <laughs> you know, the <laughs> hockey playoffs. The hockey playoffs will be starting a few days before the NBA. I mean, they'll be starting this week. And did you notice? Probably not. I mean, the NBA has it going on right now, and they have made a number of, uh, good decisions, going back to Donald Sterling a year ago. Yeah. And uh, Silver has come in, and nearly every play that he's played, every move that he's made has been strong. And, um, I mean, the market share is, in, is increasing. I mean, they're starting to chip away from football a little bit, even in the fall. Um, yeah, there's there's no change. I mean, I'd like to see him recede. Um, each round, but that's just a personal preference. I mean, I could, you know, that's, 
it's not a big deal. On a scale of 1 to 10, that's like a 1.3. So I say don't mess with a good thing. And I would add, I love what you said. What I would add, I think what the NBA's done is if you thought about the NBA as a really good baseball franchise, what they did was invest in a farm system. So no other time in the NBA, I mean, I spend my time, y'all know I'm going back and forth, y'all, with NBA pass. I have so much fun with it. And I think that's what the NBA is going to um, uh, improve. It's the kind of game that on multiple platforms and angles and, and bring you into the space that they could uh, create that home and arena experience. I think that's where a person like Silver is really going to be. But I think they did a, they have a group of about 15 to 20 uh, young players who are appealing. Think about this. I'll look at the Memphis team. Think about think about uh, think about their 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 big man. And they got storylines everywhere. But 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 think about uh, uh, Zebo. Think about where Zebo was seven years ago. Like he's a reform. He's like the cat who went to jail when Howard came out reform. He's the guy he went to jail. Now he's like a citizen, you know, in a way that he's branded. So in mm-hmm. every market, they got cats who are appealing. Uh, and that investment, I think, is now paying off for them. I think it's going to pay off in the ratings because everywhere you look, you have guys who are market. Like we talk about Davis, we have guys who are marquee players who are who have staying power. They're not one hit wonders. And they, and I don't know if it's part of the USA Basketball, also helping with that as well, keeping that continuity, creating that community in that space. But they've done a lot of investment in what I would say they farm system. So when you look around the league, you see a lot of appealing stars. Yeah, and, and, and I'll go back to a point that I'm just going to keep banging y'all over the head with. It's the one and done. I mean, yeah. the one and done is, in my opinion, a very happy medium. I don't think it necessarily needs to be changed. And this is what I'll say. It gives a high school kid, because, again, there was a time where, you know, you had guys jumping right from high school to the pros. And Anthony Davis, in his third year, is a known commodity because of the year he spent at Kentucky. Yeah. You know, Jaleel Okafor next year is going to be a known commodity. People will have seen him play. People will have talked. They will have some sort of an emotional connection to him. So wherever he goes, they'll want to see how he does. You know what I mean? Yeah. And because of that, people are more locked into the league because guys at least spend a year. And the reason I say it's a happy medium is because the guys get to go to college. The college gets the benefit, right? You know, yeah. so they get more eyes on their tournament. They get more eyes on their teams. They get to sell some jerseys. They get a connection with a with a professional athlete that they can say is one of their guys, right? And then the player gets to leave as soon as he can. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So he gets to start his free agent clock. He gets to build his brand a little bit in college, get his name out there. You know, D'Angelo Russell, the guy from Ohio State who's going to be a great pro, if he had to come straight out of high school, nobody would know who he is. And not a lot of people know who he is now, but he has a connection to that Ohio State fan base. So he has fans already. You know what I mean? He has people who are already D'Angelo Russell fans that he wouldn't have otherwise. And so I think that helps as well. Would I change the playoff format? Yes. One very small tweak. I agree with everything you guys are saying. The league is in a very good place right now. The one, and, and because of that and because of the young stars that you talked about, like we may have a playoff this year where Russell Westbrook's not playing. I think that's wrong. I think given the season that Russ he has, I want to see him wreak havoc in the playoffs, you know what I mean? And the thing that I would do is the top 16 records get in. Top 16 records get in, the, get in the tournament. You know, I think that also ensures that, you know, there's more space 
between before your good teams play each other. And so, you know, one and two, you know, might not see each other till the end. Three and four might not see each other for a while. You know, it gives you a couple of rounds before you really get into the meat and potato matchups, um, which may be a good thing, may not be a good thing, depending upon how soon you want to see. But when you look at the Western Conference, you know, and some really good teams are going to get knocked out right away. Um, and to me, that's unfortunate. I want to see those teams play a round or two, get lathered up, and then have them go to battle. Um you're going to have the Oklahoma, you know, you're going to have Russell Westbrook on the outside looking in. And instead, you know, you have a franchise that's a marquee franchise, but you got the Boston Celtics in the playoffs in the East, you know, which they don't have a stud. You know what I mean? They don't have anybody I want to watch. You know, I want to watch Brad Evans. You know what I'm saying? I want to watch the coach. <laughs> I want to see what he's running. But, you know, nobody's paying to see the coach, you know, manage timeouts and run a nice set and, you know, what line, what kind of lineup combinations they're putting in. The Jim Pop fan is not interested in that. That's what Boston brings. You know, Indiana, again, good franchise. Paul George is coming back. But I don't want to see a, a half-speed a half speed Paul George when I could see a full-speed Russell Westbrook and maybe round two see Kevin Durant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe round two Kevin Durant's ready. You know, maybe he's ready to go. That's what I'd rather see. So I'd rather see the top 16 records get in. I don't know what format, how conferences and all that kind of work, but that's what I want to see in the playoffs. I want to see the top 16 teams in the league um, in the playoffs. So that's the only tweak I would make is that top 16 records get in, everybody else is out. Because that's the other thing is now OKC is in the lottery. And given their luck, they might get the, a top three pick. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So now you got, you know, they could be the Spurs all over again when they set uh, David Robinson for that year and wind up with Duncan. You know what I mean? And then how everybody would cry murder about that. So that's the one tweak I, I, I consider making. I mean, let's dig into this for a little bit. Um, is there an example of that model being used in any team sport? Because, I mean, this has been talked about in football especially when you have a team that goes 7-9 and nine and makes the playoffs like Seattle did a few years ago? No, nah, there isn't. And I think it's because we're beholden to the conference division structure that we've all grown up with, yeah. right? One of those things that, yeah. you know, you know, they ask you, why, why does grandma put the turkey in upside down? Well, because her mama put it in upside down. Well, why did she do it? Well, because her mama did it. Well, why is the yeah. turkey upside down? And don't nobody know why they put the turkey in the pan upside down on Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I know I'm going off. So I know I'm, I'm going off the farm a little bit, but you feel me. So it's one of those things yeah. that, you know, we have divisions, we have conferences, and it's just how we know our – this is how our sports are set up. And so if you don't have a conference, well – or if you if you if you don't have a Western and an Eastern conference, how would you divide the teams up? Or how will schedules be made? How would divisions go? And that kind of a deal. Um, and I think that's where that's where you don't have people switching, kind of switching their mindset to how do we make this happen so that the best teams get in the playoffs? You know what I mean? I think it could work. Like I think it could work better in basketball than say football because football. You know, you have these regional rivalries. And, yes, you still have that in basketball, but it's to a much, much lesser degree. Um, So you're not worried about, man, how do we get Ohio State and Michigan to work still? How do we get 
the Packers and the Bears to work still. Um, you don't have that in basketball as much. Um, so, so I think it could work, and I think that argument, I don't know, I think it comes down to money, um, and it comes down to um, – so the NBA, you always see this shift of powers, and the lottery system is is in place, like with most sports, so that, you know, in the next five years we'll see a shift to the East being stronger just because, you know, the numbers say that um, the East teams are going to get better draft picks, better location in the lottery, and theoretically they will get stronger um, through building to the draft, but... Once we, like, we go back to the summer of 2010, and to me, I think that's been a big game changer in terms of how LeBron and that group handle free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's a shift in the NBA, um, you know, almost in the 80s when free agency was introduced, you know, in sports, um, at least in basketball, where it shifted the landscape of how things get done. I mean, no longer could Red Arbot do how he did and be successful because now the players have more power. And I wonder if the draft and building through the draft will be less relevant moving forward, given that um, players are going to decide now, hey, I'll take less money to play for a better team and and have an opportunity to win championships because I'll make my money that way. Um, So, you know, I – I mean, Marcus, you bring up a good point, and I wonder if the NBA is just going to blow things up in the next five to six years and try something like that. Um, because well, I know in two years, in two years, things are going to get crazy, right? Because the cap is going to go up about 22 mil, which means that's a max player for everybody, right? So now it's not about cap space because you're the max guy. Everybody's going to have an extra 22 mil to just do something with. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's that extra 20 that you find in your pocket on laundry day. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I'm 20 bucks in my pocket. I'm about to wash some clothes. But then when you do that, you, know you start making poor decisions. I mean, you start making poor decisions when you find that extra $20 in the laundry. You know, well, I'm going right. to buy this, and I really don't need it. I'm going to go pay Joe Johnson the max contract. Why? Because yes. I got the money. <laughs> but what it will do is, is for the free agents who are the guys who are the max guys who are the guys who will get the stars of that summer, they're going to be able to go wherever they want, not who has the yeah. money because everybody's got the money. So you will see some really strong teams come out of that, and I think that summer is going to really, really have an impact on how people then go forward with the next CBA around, okay, so what are we going to do now? Because – you got a San Antonio Spurs team that reloaded, and they got Kawhi and Paul George, you know, some ridiculous like that. You know what I'm saying? Because he was a free agent, and and they had money, and you know, and so somebody could just go some like LeBron. It could be LeBron, Kevin Love, Kyrie, and Anthony Davis, because they got 22 mil to spend. You know what I mean? And so that's gonna cause some problems. (laughs) You feel me? Because yeah. I think I think you know. So right now, what the league is trying to do is they're trying to uh, gradually increase the cap, and the players are like, "No, the TV deal's in place. Y'all getting the money. We get a percentage of it. The cap goes up." You know, the players want the cap to go up, so it'll be interesting to see how the summer of 2016 goes as far as free agency, because that's when the new cap number will hit. Um, and but, I think that's going to be a game changer. 
But I, I want to add, though, I mean, but when you when you look at the eyeballs that still run it, it still comes down. Like, even with all this movement that happens, you know, you look at Nielsen, you look at ratings and eyeballs, it's still those teams that historically have caused what I call the tiger effect, right? You either love them, you watch them to see them lose or watch them to see them win. And those are the folks that I mentioned. If you go look at Nielsen numbers for the past 15 years, even with all this movement, the ones that move the needle are the Lakers, Celtics, Pistons, and Bulls. And so part of it, so part of it is, you know, the competitive stuff that y'all are talking about. The other thing is what moves the needle, what what creates the effect. And you've got to have that organization or those organizations that are almost like the villains in some ways that look like they got too much. And, you know, so and, and up until this point, it's been those four teams. You go back and look at it. They've all had double-digit ratings when they've come on. And so – and at the end of the day, the only way you get to challenge even close to football or be that solidified number two is your ability to, to gain that market share and that market share year-round. And that part I haven't seen how this is going to translate to that. Yeah, and I don't think they care because I think they're about to hit a record TV deal and they're going to get paid anyway. I, but, but to your point, I think what makes that happen and that what makes that happen is personality. Because, again, the NBA is different than most sports in that you get to see the players. You, you know what Anthony Davis looks like. You know what James Harden looks like. You see a beard. You see a beard. You recognize who that is. You know what Dirk Nowitzki looks like. You even know what Tim Duncan looks like. You know what I mean? And, and I think when you look at the teams that have been successful, like the San Antonios, that haven't moved the needle and got that 10 rating, it's because they don't have that person, that, those personalities. And I think in the NBA, more than any other league, personalities sell. You know, personalities also move the needle. Market is important, but personalities, I mean, Oklahoma City is not a major market. But Oklahoma City, I think, would draw eyes. Why? Because you got Henry Russ and you got lovable KD. You know what I mean? And because of those personalities, people are going to gravitate towards watching that team. You'd be surprised. OKC has some of the ugliest jerseys I've ever seen. I hate their jerseys. You see people wearing them because it's Kevin Durant's jersey. It's Russell Westbrook's jersey. It's not an appealing jersey to wear. You know what I mean? And it's not like anybody up here in Wisconsin has any sort of allegiance to the Oklahoma City Thunder, but people buy the jersey because of the personality, because of the player. And, again, for me, that's what that's why I think, you know, that idea of getting the, the 16 best teams in, more than likely you're going to catch your 16 marquee players in, that, in those 16 best teams instead of getting some middling team with nobody that anybody wants to see. Like, I'm, I probably won't watch a game – and honestly, the league probably won't show very many of the Celtics series. It probably won't show very many games of the Hawks, Pacers. You know, uh, it looks like who, who are the Celtics going to be facing off against in the East um, in the first round? The Cavs and the Celtics. Okay, some of those games will get shown because of LeBron, Kyrie, that storyline, right? You will hardly see, I can tell you already, you, can, you will hardly see Toronto, Washington. Why? Not a whole lot compelling there. Not a whole lot. You might see some Chicago, Milwaukee because of Derrick Rose and, and his recovery. And Chicago, like you said, is a brand as a team. The Bulls are a brand as a team. So you might see some of that. You know, you go out west, and you know, again, you're gonna see, you you want to see. See, that's the difference between in the West. You want to see most of the time, most of the uh, games. You want to see most of the series. You want to see Golden State 
New Orleans. Why? You've got Steph Curry and the best team in the league against, going against Anthony Davis in his first playoff run. You want to see how Davis is going to handle that. You know, you got San Antonio going against Dallas. Hated rivals. You got Dirk versus Duncan, part 50, right? How many times have those guys faced off? That may be a series you don't see a lot of. Why? Because two kind of personality-wise, there's not a lot of pop in that series. Good basketball, just not a lot of casual fan eyes are going to gravitate towards that. Three spot, you got Memphis and uh, the Clippers. As it sits right now, again, the West is going to jostle. I think Memphis was a two seed like two days ago when I hit a six. <laughs> but you've you got these different series, and there's a storyline to watch them. And, again, depending upon who the marquee talents are, you can tell. Again, I would rather, I would rather see – Again, if OKC is a 16 seed going against Golden State, the one seed, I'd rather see that. You know what I mean? Then I got Anthony Davis going against the Hawks in the first round, you know, as as the, as the two versus the 15 or whatever. You know, so that that that's what I like to see. You know, you get your 16 best teams in it. More times than not, you're going to get your 16 marquee players, marquee franchises, marquee teams, or at least the hottest teams into the tournament every year. Um, in the NBA, and that's what I like to see different. And then I think you would see, again, where, where it becomes beneficial, you might see some teams and some new franchises break into that, you know, getting some higher ratings. Why? Because people are getting more familiar with some of these players earlier on. You know, Kevin Love still hasn't been – this is going to be his first playoff. He's been in the league six years, and before this year, you'd, you'd have to argue somebody down and say he wasn't a top five player in the league. You know what I mean? And he's finally breaking into the playoffs. So, you know, things like that happen when you don't get your best teams in the league, in the league and into the into the playoffs. Some some players get left out. So let me transition this though. Let's go because we spent a lot of time on that. One. Good conversation though. Good conversation. Yeah, it was. All right. Number two, which individual player has some has the most riding on this year's playoffs? Uh, D. Willis, I'll start with you. Uh, Curry, um, and it's because he either can be immortalized, immortalized, or he can be uh, Gary Payton Sonics, um, where you know uh, you had these great regular seasons, um, you either went deep or fell out early. It probably wasn't your fault, but you're gonna get blamed. So I think you know all this does not matter if they don't make a really good run in the playoffs and, and a run meaning get to the finals. If they lose in the finals, I think that's okay. But if they don't get to the finals, then I think he's got the most right on this. Because then people are going to argue if he gets the MVP, you know, people are going to uh, really go at that whether or not he deserved it. Okay, side question. Is he your MVP? Yeah, I, I would say that. When I, when I, um, and part of it, I think people like Curry get, um, people get so enamored with his offense, but I think his biggest was happening on defense. I had a really good chance to watch him uh, play against the Clippers and, um, now, you know, everybody looked at how he crossed uh, Chris Paul over, but if you looked at how how much he's improved defensively against top point guards, um, and if you look at their team, um, when you look at their uh, efficiency, total efficiency rating, um, where they're at like 11.4, I mean, that's ridiculous when you're talking about having that rating. When you look historically, um, and that starts, that kind of thing starts with your best player, right? We talk about Carmelo, we talk about that. And some reasons why some of these players' teams are not great is because their best player 
um, isn't committed to making an effort. And um, their best improvement, I think, has been defensively. And I think he, they're not hiding him defensively. He's playing defense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. See, and I'm, I'm still up in the air on whether or not it's Curry or it's Harden for me. Um, because mm. when I think about MVP, I think about who's the most dominant. Who was the most dominant that season? Who had the most dominant season? And I think you can make an argument for both. Um, I like what you said about Curry playing both ends. You know, his team has the number one offensive efficiency rating, number one defensive efficiency rating. I think he has a big part to do with that. Um, and there's questions about but, Harden. He's improved, but there's a lot of questions on his team's failure has had a lot to do when they fail with his effort on the other end. Right. Well, but his team is also, also they, they they won 55 games. Yeah. You know, They've won 55 games. That's a lot of, I mean, they'll probably want, I mean, that's a lot of games. That's a lot of games, and he has been dominant. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I, dominant I, I, I like him a lot. I can't, can't take I, a night off. Yeah. So I'm going to bring in PhD. Uh, first off, who has the most riding on it? And then talk, talk about your MVP. Uh, LeBron's got the most riding on it, and LeBron James is the MVP this year. He won't, he won't win it, okay. But I mean, this cat is is averaging twenty five, six, and seven. You know, it's like we just had this LeBron James fatigue, man. And I don't think it's fair. Like, <laughs> like I just don't think it's fair. It's like I want to stop my feet around. You know, if. If this was LeBron's third or fourth year in the league and he hadn't won a champion or a, a, um, MVP before and we just didn't know this cat, he'd be right up there with the rest of these guys, you know. But we just get fatigued. I mean, just like when uh, Mike didn't win it those two years, they won the sit. You know, uh, Charles Barkley won. Carl Malone won. And I get the award. The award is for the most valuable player to that team. But I guess what? I tell you what. It, like, there's just this bias, man, that goes into it. We get tired of greatness. We get tired of greatness, and we want to look for something else. And, you know, Golden State's having a heck of a year, but the award does not go to, you know, the player with the best record, you know, that the best, like who's the most uh, best player on that team. In my opinion, like, the award should not go to that. That's what it's become. Um, I get that, and whenever I have this discussion, that's what people want to stick on. Was well, not who who's the best player, it's the most valuable player. Okay, I got you. I got you. Yep, I got it. What else you got for me? What else you got for me? Well, well, you know, well, that's because why, that's why that's why I've moved to saying I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it necessarily has to be the best player in the world at that particular moment, right? Which LeBron is. He's the best basketball player in the world, right? We know that. Any given moment, if you took a poll of who's the best guy in the world at basketball, it's LeBron, right? But where I do see it differently is that I think it's who was the most dominant that season. Has LeBron been very good this year? Yes, he's been very good. Was he as good as he was last year? Mm, no. Was he as dominant as he was last year? Best... No. Yeah, I, I think, think Harden yeah. has been very dominant. I think Curry has been dominant this year. I think they've been dominant. They've been the most dominant guys this year where, on a nightly basis, they're making their presence known. I think there have been stretches of the season where LeBron has put it on Cruz. Now, he's put it on LeBron's Cruz because he is the best player in the world. It's 25-6. and six. 
You know what I mean? But has LeBron put his foot on people's throats all season and been and and been dominant? No, I don't think he has. He's been LeBron. But has he been turning up a gear, turning up another notch LeBron? You know, like he was a couple years ago where he was proving a point? Yeah. Is he doing that? No. No, he's not. Is he still amazing? He's still the best player in the league? Heck yeah. Nobody's saying that, but has he been the most dominant player in the league this season? Nah. Is he in the conversation? He's always in the conversation. And and, and I want to say the best player in the the league is built on what I would say a four-year body of work, of which – they were the most consistent player in LeBron's case, maybe over a six-year body of work, right, seven years. So it's over a period of time at a high level of consistency. So that's why I agree with you, uh, Marcus, on the, uh, a year. And even my argument against uh, that we had an argument about Jordan and Barkley, I mean, Barkley, Barkley should have four chiropractors for what he was carrying that year. And even in that, there were a lot of great players. That's why this, this whole idea we talk about with championships, you know, the, the the way in which guys like Barkley commanded and, and dominated the game at six four with hardly any help, you know when when you're talking about that as an MVP discussion and we're just going to give Jordan whatever we're going to give him, he was good over a period of time. But in that era, there were a lot of great players who didn't have that kind of you know supporting cast or whatever. So there's a lot of arguments you made, but over a five year period, when you're talking about a high level, best players are usually looked at over a period of time. But you can't Yeah. So if you take any player in the league, see, see, this is where I get with the MVP award. Okay, most valuable player. Most valuable player. Okay? If you move any player in the league and you ask what would the like what would their team be without them? I think LeBron is the most valuable player in that context. If you move any player in the league, I agree. And you I add agree. LeBron you to move, the team, yes, or you, you add take LeBron him away from the Cavs. You add LeBron to the Clippers, they're playoff. T- I mean, to the uh, Sixers, they're in the playoffs. You know what I mean? But what what I would say to that then is why even have a season, right? We we could we could tell you I could tell you that for game one, right? So then we give LeBron the MVP on the first game of the season, and we uh, we should if yeah. that's how we going if that's the litmus test, then we should just give it to him. It's yeah, not I'd even be okay under, with that. It, it, it's not an award worth even talking about. You know what I mean? It, it, then the award doesn't mean anything because we know who that is. I think, again, just because Curry or Harden wins the MVP award for the 2014-15 season doesn't mean LeBron wasn't the best player on the planet that year. He just didn't have the best season of guys in the league that year. When you talk about because your skill set is your skill set. Your skill set exists more in a vacuum than your stats and your numbers. Your numbers are contextual, right? LeBron is always going to be able to do things that other people can't do on the court because of his physical abilities and his skill set, and that's what makes him the best player in the league. Now, the question then, did he have the most dominant season? You know what I'm saying? Did he have the most dominant 2014-15? Was he the most dominant guy in the league in that year? If you put him on any team, would that team be better, way better? Absolutely. Absolutely, freaking Louis. Because again, I think it's right. I hear like that, that milk that stay out all night. 
You know, that milk right. that stay out all night. It, and, for, and for me, and doing it the other way, where it's just, right for me is the bias. I it's like it's the bias. It's to back this up. <laughs> <laughs> that was not me that pressed that button. I did not press that button. That was you, Will. That was you, Will. I'm listening. You, Will, trying to clown. <laughs> I love you. Because this is this is the point that this it, there's, there's like four or five points that get under Phil's skin. I don't care when we bring it up, it's gonna be a problem. This is one. This is one. It is. We all got it. We all got I'm glad we. I'm we glad we don't him. have him on Twitter yet. I mean, this is one. When we get him on Twitter, he's gonna be sniping people. I'm glad we only got him in the in the text in the text messaging environment right now because there's very few things that get him riled up. This is one of them. So let's let him finish you because know, you Kanye him. <laughs> I'll yield my minutes to him. I mean, like, we just get excited about shiny new things, man. You know, I mean, like, we, you know, we talk about the matchup we want to see. The matchup I want to see is everybody against the Warriors. Everybody against the Warriors. Like, I can't, like, so for me, the Warriors are kind of like uh, the Utah Jazz in the mid to late 90s when the Jazz had these great seasons, but they just fell apart in the playoffs until they made it to the finals in 96-97. And they finally made it to the finals. We're like, okay, okay, maybe this style actually can work. To me, that's what it is about the Warriors, man. I mean, I love the Warriors. I love Mark Jackson. I'm still upset with how they did Mark Jackson. I'm impressed with the season they've had so far. But in my opinion... I'm waiting for him to get beat by the Spurs, man, or whoever else in the West. And we get excited about shiny things. You know, Steph Curry is having an excellent season. He is. He is. But he's not LeBron, man. And, you know, what LeBron does for a team, you know, like, and we're starting to see some statistics to really back it up in terms of efficiency and other things. Um, Man, it's, it's kind of like the Magic Johnson effect. Like, how do you really measure what Magic meant to a team when he was averaging 19 and 11? You know, his his impact on a game was a lot more than 19 and 11. And 19 and 11 was impressive. It was impressive. But his impact on a game was just, it was almost, the majority of it was intangibles. And sometimes with the MVP race, we get stuck on statistics. We get stuck on, okay, this is what this guy is doing. Now, he's shooting 38% from the field in the second half, but this is what he's doing. You know, his team is the ninth seed right now in Westbrook, but, you know, he's got 50 points three times this season and 40 points on 10 occasions, and he's doing all this, doing all that. Man, if Westbrook was Kobe Bryant, we be Marcus be dogging what he's doing, but it's, but it's the first time we've seen it. Let Westbrook do this for four straight seasons. Put up these numbers for four straight seasons, and the best this team does is the seventh seed. We're going to be sick of Westbrook. He can put up the same numbers that he's putting up in 2015. He can put up in 2019. Oh, we've seen it. He's not an MVP candidate. He's hurting his team, blah, blah, blah. Like this all right, I'm done. But but I, I want to keep this conversation going because this is a good conversation and I'm enjoying this. 
Um, and I hear you, and I and I truly do, and that's why I I, I use them. So valuable is a very vague term. It's a very vague term. But that's why I oh that's why I'm trying to use I'm trying to frame it up more as dominant, right? So who was more of a presence, right? So it kind of gets to that intangible piece, like on a on a nightly basis during this season. Who did you feel like had more of a presence? And is LeBron in the conversation? Yes, because he always has a presence on the court. But I felt I feel like Harden and and Curry. I'm not putting Westbrook in the conversation because. I'm, I'm not. I don't like gunning. <laughs> I, it's fun to watch, but I don't like gunning. <laughs> so Westbrook's not in my conversation. But you talk about Anthony Davis. You know, you talk about Curry. You talk about LeBron. You talk about CP3. You talk Harden. about Harden. Those are the guys who are in my conversation of presence on a nightly basis. And on a nightly basis, they are high-level presence, high-level impact tangible and intangible on their team's performance. And, again, yes, LeBron is the best player in the world. And, again, I don't feel – I don't, but, I, again, I don't feel like on a nightly basis LeBron was giving you maxed out LeBron on a nightly basis. Well, I feel like Curry and Harden were giving you maxed out Curry and Harden all year on a night-to-night basis, they trying to go bonkers, and they're trying. They they were going hard to have that impact, and I think you know there were times where LeBron put it on cruise. And, and I also say I also have that there were times where early in the season for LeBron, where he was pulling his best rendition of Bo Ryan. He like he was whining. He was doing some things that looked like it took away from the winning, even with some of the stuff he was doing. Uh, related to Kyrie early on. Remember when he scored that 50 and then he came? So there's some things, even from the chemistry standpoint, we were even questioning about LeBron, what, how much LeBron was contributing to pulling the team. Well, I'm going to stop you there, D-Wiz, I'm not going there. You're going all WWE on me. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm, going, I'm, I'm just trying saying. to focus on court. I'm just trying to focus on court production. I'm saying that's all a part of it when you, when you look at the, the, I don't think so. That's, that's not a part of it for me. I don't even. I don't even. Well, that's not even a part of it for me. I know Phil want to say this. You smoke crack, don't you? <laughs> you smoke crack, don't you? <laughs> I mean, I'll be every, every time I hear Phil say, I gotta. Like, I do have a blind spot when it comes to LeBron. There, I said it. <laughs> I do, and, 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 and I will give you. I will give you that there is a level of fatigue. I'll give you that. I think with the media, there is a level of fatigue, and I think there isn't a lot of clarity around what the MVP award is supposed to be. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's, there isn't a lot. Because valuable is such a vague, meaningless word. It's so vague it doesn't have it's, – it's, it's so vague it doesn't have any meaning. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Valuable, okay. It can mean whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can make an I argument mean, for a lot of things. Man, when when Barkley went – from Philly to Phoenix, and Phoenix had this huge turnaround. They went from middle of the pack to having the best record. All of a sudden, that was the biggest reason why Barkley earned the MVP. And Barkley had an all-time great season that season. I'm not taking it away, okay? But let's take a step back. The Cavs. What did the Cavs do the last three seasons? 
Nothing. Nothing. They didn't even sniff the playoffs. They weren't. Yeah. They were horrible. And now all of a sudden, you add LeBron James, you add Kevin Love, which, you know, I'm still behind Kevin Love, but we know Kevin Love is not contributing in a way that's even close to his Minnesota production. But you add LeBron James to that team, and all of a sudden, they're the two seed in the East. You know, and, and there's just, man, we would go nuts. We would go crazy if LeBron hadn't had any MVPs yet with this kind of turnaround. You know, I I just, to me, man, so many different agendas come in. And to your point, Marcus, this MVP is so vaguely defined, which if I take a step back, I think it's, I think it's genius. I think it is. The NBA could yeah. step yeah. in. Like yeah. They could have stepped in on many occasions and clarified a war, but why? Because again, mm-hmm. it keeps it keeps this conversation going with the NBA every year or often with the MVP award. You know, so I'm not gonna sit here and critic like criticize the criteria because the greater good of it is genius. But yeah. like we would just go crazy, man, if an MVP candidate came in and turned around their team. Like I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the Cavs probably won twenty to thirty games last year. That'd be my best guess. And now, you know, they've won fifty plus games. I But but in defense I do think there is a, there is the eyeball test comes into play and how you how you facilitate and how you impact that turnaround, right? So I give you the Atlanta Hawks as exhibit A. The Atlanta Hawks were a middling team last year. You know, they became this juggernaut and nobody, no one player is getting credit for it because of actually what the eyeball test tells you is that there's a one guy who's doing all of this. You know what I mean? And I think, again, Curry's playing with, a, with, with other guys who are having an impact, but when you look at who is the presence and who is dominating on a nightly basis, it's Curry. And I think if LeBron had the same season, he hadn't won an MVP, but he played the same way and has been up and down and kind of coasting here and there, I think people there, there would be a larger contingent of people that would say, yes, he, sh- he should be getting an MVP. But I don't think the, the chorus would be as loud as you may think it would be because he's kind of had some moments where he's coasted. And there have been stretches where Kyrie has been the dude on that team. So I think you would have a conversation where maybe you got two guys pulling votes from each other. Because of the way, yes, there's been a turnaround, but the way that turnaround is played out, I think that that's something that people can get a read on as well. As far as the uh, the kind of genius of it, I agree with you 100%. And I'll take it a step further. I think the genius of it is is that, again, I, I believe fatigue exists. Superstar fatigue exists. I'm, I'm not denying that at all. And I think it's in, at play with LeBron, for sure. Um, I don't think that detracts from what Harden and Curry have done this season, but I think it is at play, right? But what that does do is now you get a new storyline, right? Instead of giving the damn award to LeBron every year, <laughs> you get to invent a new superstar, right? Yeah. You get to invent a new guy by having this vaguely framed up award that can go to the shiny new thing. You know what I'm saying? You know, and and, and now you have 
LeBron and this other force that could compete with LeBron. You know what I mean? But LeBron's my guy. I mean, he's my guy. He's my guy. You know? I feel you. We all got our guy, man. T-Mac was my guy. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not going to go there. (laughs) (laughs) Let's finish this. This has been a really good segment, and I want to finish this out, fellas. Um, So let's go ahead and do that. All right, matchup you're hoping to see the most. PhD, start us off. Matchup you want to see the most. I would like to see. I did. I like to see the Spurs and the Cavs go at it. Okay. Immediately, I'd love to see the Spurs and Warriors go at it because I just I feel like if the Warriors beat the Spurs or if the Warriors make it to the finals, period. Um, that's that's just a franchise changer for those guys. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think it, it validates Golden State. Golden State, and me and you kind of talked about this over text a couple of times, how, you know, both of us kind of have a little bit of a wait-and-see approach to Golden State. Like, we've seen this story before. Like, the jump-shooting squad, you know, hot four years, great during the regular season. They get in the playoffs, and that whole pretty jump shot style don't really flow that well. Um, I think we're both kind of waiting to see if if there's some substance or if there's some grit to this squad and they can they can grind it out through through the tournament, you know, and get to the get to the finals. I'm with you on that. And and the Spurs are are truly the grizzled vet of the league as far as handling the playoffs. You know, it's it's so crazy how like clockwork, you know, end of February rolls around and everybody's got questions about the Spurs, then all of a sudden they kick it into high gear, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, they're back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they just won 10 games. They won 11, they won 11 a game win streak right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, and at no point in this season have they seemed very dominant until now. <laughs> and, it, of course, it's the perfect time to be dominant. So that's San Antonio. D. Wills, your, 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 uh, my, the matchup you want to see. Mine, and, and because I'm always excited about the first round, the opening round of the playoffs, and, and they, they look like they're going to be matched up, uh, and they, they really need to get out of the first round for where they are as franchises are the Clippers in uh, Memphis. You know, if they're mm-hmm. off healthy, this one, because the loser of this has to go and be doing some deep reflection about where they're going as an organization. <laughs> Both of these organizations believe they're, they should be in their Western Conference Finals this is a place, they, place where they should be going. And they, they have some things on the stretch, but if they lose, there's a lot of questions with free agency coming up about where they got, and particularly um, on the Clippers side, they're superstars. Um, you know, can they, you know, Chris Paul, even with the people around him, should have the ability. And I said this early on when we were doing a ranking probably about a month ago. You know, people are trying to put the Clippers up there. They're 9-1 right down on the stretch. They lost to Gold State. In their last ten, um, they are second in total rating. You know they've been playing defense offense, but there's something about them about who does what when. And almost like Chris Paul is almost about to act get some Zeke moments. You know he gonna need. I think I like Griff, but when it comes down to it, this is really about Chris Paul's legacy, and he's gonna have to have some Zeke moments where he might have to go eighteen point twenty five. He gonna 
he's he going to have to look and realize, I got to take over the game. I'm going to have to will my team to the finals. And I know, you know, game changer, you've been a Chris Paul fan. But one of my things about Chris Paul can't quite get through is he, he has the dog in him. You can see it. But these are the moments where he got to find his inner Zeke. He ain't got no bones. He got the dog, but he yeah. ain't got no bones. He ain't got he no bones. You know, where, where they they scared to mess up. <laughs> he got to find something to get them through because they should not get knocked out of the first round. And, in fact, even though as well as Gold State been playing, everything else, if all their pieces are right, they should be able to challenge them. And a lot of that has to It's going to come back to Chris being able to lead. And in Memphis, we they got the pieces, but are they at the end of their run? Zebo's old, yeah. old, older. How many more runs they have? These folks are going to fight. They're going to be fighting. Like, this is a lack. Because they, all of them, I think, realize they can't afford to have any early exits. Right. Right. Yeah, Memphis kind of reminds me of those mid-'80s Milwaukee Bucks teams with Sidney yeah. Moncrease and Terry Cummins. Yes. But they were always in the mix. But people forget about them from a historical perspective because they never yeah. quite got over the home. It was either the Pistons yeah. or the Celtics or the Bulls or whoever they kind of got in the way, and they just kind of never quite got over the hump. Um, the matchup I want to see is a round two matchup. It's mm-hmm. Cleveland and Chicago. Um, <laughs> this is the matchup I want to see. I think this is really the Eastern Conference Finals matchup right here. Uh, Chicago is a team I've been touting all year as – the team to beat, I still think, you know, they they have the potential to be the team to beat. Um, I think they have more weapons than Cleveland uh, at their disposal. I think they can play different styles better than Cleveland. Defensively, they know how to do this playoff defense thing. Um, it'll be – Derrick Rose will be the, the, the X factor for them. Um, Cleveland, you know, I think obviously with LeBron, you got a shot. That's – Point blank period. You got LeBron, you got a shot. Um, but for every for a lot of these other guys, playing some serious playoff basketball is going to Tim, Timothy Mozgov. Don't know what this is like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Kyrie, this is his first. This is his first kind of taste. You know what I mean? Uh, Tristan, these guys, this is their first rodeo. So that's that's going to play a part in it, and how quickly they mature and grow against a, a Chicago team that, that, you know, this is what these guys know. You know, I think that, that'll be – for me, I'm excited to see how that plays out. Um, and, you know, Chicago-Cleveland has always been a rivalry. Um, but going back to Mike's days, and I'm still watching Hardwood Classics, and I had the DVR. This, they got the Charlotte Hornets, Boston Celtics from 1993. This is vintage mm-hmm. LJ. I got Muggsy Bogues out here. I got to show my son, who's a little guy. I got to show him some Muggsy footage, right? And then they got Zoe. <laughs> A, a, a young Kendall Gill. So, you know, going back to those days, Chicago-Cleveland has always been a rivalry. Um, so it'd be nice to see something like that get sparked up again um, so that so that young people can kind of, you know, it's a regional thing. You know, let's, let's get that going. You know, let's get that Chicago-Cleveland thing going again. That'd be nice. I got a um, question, guys. Random. Yeah. I hope this doesn't push it off the rails. We can We can set the timer for three minutes on this. What the heck happened to Lance Stevenson? The coach says Lance has not been playing. The coach says, and I can't believe the coach is this blunt. Uh, coach, the last two or three games, Lance hasn't been playing. 
Um, is he hurt? Uh, what's the deal with him? Honestly, I've been looking for rotations all year um, to have Lance on the court, and I can't find one where the team is successful. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> you know what that means, man? Ouch. That means Lance is a very unique talent personality-wise from a chemistry perspective, and it is very hard to figure out how to, one, get him to play well with others. <laughs> I mean, clearly he is, outside of Al Jefferson, he is probably the most talented player on that team. But, yet, right. uh, the team the team does horrible when he plays. I mean, exactly. that's a recipe to be out of the league in 365 yeah. days. Well, and, and the other piece about it is, is that I think Lance is also an acquired taste. And you have to figure out how to motivate that brother. Um, and I think in um, in Indiana, they had it was a slow it was a slow build up with Lance, right? Lance didn't just jump into their lineup. He was on the squad for a couple of years on the bench. Then he started to get some tick, and they started to get a feel for how to motivate him, when what he could do, when to put him in, when to, what to run, so he could be successful. But, again, when Lance became too much of a part of that team, about halfway through last season, things started to go sideways in Indiana. And, you know, you're right. That's a recipe to get to wind up out of the league. You know what I mean? He's going to Mad Max himself. He's going to Isaiah Ryder himself right on out the league. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Volatility is good, but you can't be too volatile. You know what I'm saying? You can't just be too volatile. Um I don't know. What's your assessment of that, D-Will? This is what I'm saying, fool's gold. You know, a little bit of ounce of reflection is good. When you think Lance's best situation was with Larry Bird, he, you know, having a situation, having somebody who talked, and sometimes that jump for that money, when you don't know you got the support, he, he, he can't work. He got to be on a team like Indiana, he got to be with a team like San Antonio. He got to be in a team where they got strong people who, if you act wrong, they're going to choke you out in the back of the parking lot. They just don't care. <laughs> and But when he writes, he's a difference maker. And so, I mean, they got too many. They, they don't have enough of a foundation in Charlotte to have somebody like that. Right. You know what I'm saying? They don't right. have enough people that he respects in the locker room to do that, you know. Even when he acted up in Indianapolis, he had a whole slew of people who were going to put him in check, you know, in that space. From from Larry Bird on down into the locker room, he got the people who will pull him off. By, but he yeah. got that. So, and that's when you're an agent, you got to help with some of that, you know, and people around him, and they just don't have the right people around him. And sometimes you got to go through this to get back up. I think what will happen is somebody going to get him cheap. And he's going to end up. Not somebody. It's not going to be somebody. It's going to be San Antonio. We all yeah. know this goes. I'm just saying that. It's going to be the only organization that can, that can reform somebody like that, man. I mean, they yeah. had Steven Jackson. You know, they had yeah. Steven Jackson. And, you know, they had him looking like, you know, a model citizen out there in San Antonio. He was going to Bible study with Avery. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 he was on, he was on Grantland just talking about popping and enjoying it. Yeah. 
You know, yeah, so yeah. And, you, and yeah. that's what made him Captain Jack down the line is that that experience. You know, being around that level of leadership, that level of stability, um, helped him become Captain Jack. You know, when he when he when he matured. Um Yeah, man, it's uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't Talk know about, about Lance, problem. man. Yeah. I don't know about Lance, Every time man. I look at Lance, it's like he was hanging out a little too late. Like, yeah. We're telling the game. It's like, is it still in the system? His eyes. You man, know. I'm sorry to interrupt y'all, man. LJ just dunked two hands, and he did the jump punch thing where he jumped in the air and did the punches. He just did that, man. I just saw that live. <laughs> Who? LJ. You know they got that clip of L, the highlight clip of LJ where he do the dunk. Oh come back to him, yeah! Start jumping in the air and punching the air at the same time. You know, doing little kicks. You, you lost me did that, man. Said LJ, I was like, well, he's talking Larry Johnson, but Larry Johnson doesn't play. Okay, you talking about like you back in? I'm watching. The, I'm watching. I'm still watching the Hardwood. I got the Hardwood Classic up on the TV right now, man. Like I said, man, and this is this is this is probably this is gold right here, man. You got to tell me, oh, old Kevin McHale out here with Robert Parrish, '93, man. <laughs> <laughs> Two things. Two things. So LJ's got them uh he got them grandma ma's on with the React juice, the converse. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, freshman yeah. year. Freshman year at Kalamazoo Central, those were our team shoes. Man, after nice. three practices, the whole court was covered with like that little yellow, yellow gel. It just, <laughs> yeah, it just split off the shoes. Second thing. <laughs> Kevin McHale, if you ever noticed towards the end of his career, whenever he got fouled, before he went to the free throw line, he always stopped underneath the basket to grab a towel from the ball boy to towel off. Then he went to the free throw line. It was like a 30-second process. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to watch. I'm going to have to watch, man. They're playing in the old hive, man. They're playing in Charlotte Coliseum in the old hive. I used to think that was the coolest gym in the world because they had that buzzing sound on the PA, yep. and you could hear it during the games, like when the, when the Hornets would get on a run, they play that little bee buzz in the background. I thought that was so cool as a kid, man. <laughs> well, oh, man. Those uniforms, those uniforms was called Classic the there. I used to love it. When they had green yeah, lights, that was it. Those were classics, man. Those those Hornets, the, the teal pinstripes with the purple pinstripes, man, those yeah. were classics. Yeah, those are yeah, I remember Glenn right Rice those. those. Glenn Rice won the uh, NBA uh, All Star MVP with that uniform on. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they had some good teams, man. That, that franchise kind of fell off a little bit. That happens, you know. But hopefully, they can get it back. I remember when I was down there hanging out, trying to try to get over to see Glenn. Glenn went to our brother where he lived. I was like, oh, so so, you know. And I was trying to come down here. Called his brother. Could he get? Could he get out? I'm like, well, that's uh, Hollywood. Like, you got to call a little bit earlier, huh? I'll never forget that. Right. Right. Hollywood on you. When Hollywood on you. All right. All right, fellas. Let's wrap this up. We got two more. We got your favorite in the East and your favorite in the West. Uh, PhD, start us off. Uh, my favorite in the West is the Spurs. You're my favorite in the East. Y'all already know is the Cavs. I won't even. Okay. I won't even waste any more airtime talking about that. All right, we understand. Understood. 
Wills, favorite in the East, favorite in the West. Favorite in the East, Cavs, I think. Um, even though this is the first round for Kyrie Irving, I think we're going to see some big performances. Uh, he, in some ways, will be different in key, in key games. And I think uh, Love is going to do some things to help the team in some key moments to get them through uh, uh, through the through the East and then Golden State. Um, I just think I think what people aren't realizing about Curry is not just what he's doing shooting, it's the way in which he's playing point guard. Um, and I just think that some things you've got to be able to do is play defense, um, and I think they are committed on that end of the floor. And they got deep rotations. You can't really get them in foul trouble. they got too many people they can play. And I think Kerr and that coaching staff has a pretty good pulse on that team. Cool, cool, cool. So, um, in the East. Raptors, the Raptors beat Atlanta in the second round. We'll throw that out there. The Raptors beat Atlanta in the second round? Okay. Second round. You go with these upsets now. You You know they got to beat them in seven games, right? (laughs) (laughs) This ain't the tournament. This ain't the NCAA tournament where it's one and done. They got to beat them four times. (laughs) But, but But Atlanta is Villanova. Atlanta does mm. have some Villanova tendencies. Mm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Not buying Atlanta. Not buy, I'm not really high on Atlanta either. I think this is they got to go through it once. They got to go through it once, work out the kinks, figure out the tweaks. Because the other thing about this Atlanta team is I don't think their roster was put together to beat people, the people that they're going to see. You know what I mean? Like we know that teams – put their roster together with the idea that we have to beat Chicago. We have to beat Cleveland. We have to beat San Antonio. You know what I mean? And I don't know if Atlanta's made any moves like that. I think they just are playing well as what, with what they got. And what they got is what they got. And I don't think what they got necessarily is designed to uh, for the playoffs. I don't think they built this team for the playoffs. I think they built this team to see if they could come up with a style that they could win with. And they've done that. Now they have to go through the playoffs, figure out what they need, tweak their roster, and get a team that can win in the regular season. Now that they prove that they can win at a big, in a big way in the regular season, keep going. I don't think they're there yet. Um, I got Chicago. Cleveland is 1A for me. Um, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to, to really begin to Cleveland as my favorite just because, again, I got to see some of these dudes with their playoff chops, man. I got to see what the playoff chops look like, man. It's a different yeah, animal, man. That's a good point. Your knees get a little weak. Yeah. I, I, I got to see I gotta see what that's like. You know what I mean? But, again, you got LeBron. It's hard not to have you in the conversation as a favorite. And that's the only reason, not because of LeBron, because of the other guys. I'm a little, I'm a little weary on Cleveland. Chicago, they got guys who've been in it. Um, I don't know, man. I really, I really don't even know if I can see Chicago being beating Cleveland in a seven-game series right now, though. The way Cleveland, Cleveland is playing well. Um, so, I'm, I, man, that's the beauty I guess of the I'll playoffs. Go Cleveland. I'm going Cleveland. I'm going Cleveland. I'm going Cleveland. My favorite in the East. I'll be Out honest west. with you. That inexperience makes me real nervous too, man. About Cleveland, yeah. it it really does. I I think the. Um, what I can say about Love and Kyrie is that the USA basketball experience has helped them. They have yeah. played tough minutes um, and in tough games on big stages. It's not the NBA playoffs, but I think it's the next best thing. 
Yeah. And also, you can't forget that Shumpert and J.R. Smith, well, some J.R. Smith had experience in the playoffs. And you need a cat like that that can have that moment in a way. He's playing with a level of control, um, and he can play on both ends. So you do have, and some you got some veterans on the bench who haven't played a lot who got playoff experience, like Mike Miller and some of these other cats. So they got some folks. I think the biggest part of it, to me, less the players, more the coaches. Are they going to make the adjustments in some of those things in the rotations? You know, are they going to freeze up kind of like Scott Brooks does? Well, he'll run a rotation all year long and get to the playoffs, and you don't see that rotation any, anymore. Um, that That's more of it. But they got some guys who have playoff experience who are going to log some minutes in key situations. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then my favorite in the West is, I got to go with San Antonio. I gave the Clippers a ton of consideration for my favorite, but in the end, they got a lot of holes in their roster. They don't really have a strong uh, arsenal of defensive wings. I think that's really important. Um, you got to have some guys who, with some length who can guard. Really, all they have is Matt Barnes, um, and he's older than me. Um, so... I can't – and then when Art, when Austin Rivers is your second guard, I don't, when he's your backup point, I don't like that. I don't like that one. I don't like that one bit. I have to drop a dime on that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? When Austin, Austin Rivers is your second guard. So, I got to go with San Antonio, what, man. I'll tell you what. I, I want San Antonio too, but – Something about the Clippers, man. I feel like the Clippers are flying underneath the radar for the first time since they've been good in the last three or four years. And I think we may yeah. see a Blake, a Blake like, whoa, I didn't know Blake had this. Like Blake, yeah, game and that's has the one developed. reason that I'm really giving him. That's the one reason I'm really giving him some consideration is because Blake and CP3 both can own, both have the potential to be able to own a series. You know what I mean? And that's important. You got to have guys who can do that. You know what I mean. You got to have guys who can do that. But then, you know, as good as DeAndre Jordan has been, it's going to be tough to play him down the stretch of a playoff game. I mean, that's going to be tough. And with his free throw shooting, it's going to be interesting to see how Doc plays that. Um, you know, finding somebody else on the perimeter is Crawford going to be well enough to do what he does and give them something off the bench? I don't know. You know, their bench isn't super strong. Um, so that, that that those are my questions with the Clippers. I wanted to go with the Clippers, but I when I really looked at them, I'm like, ah, it's, I'm, I'd, be, I'd be trying to make it something, and it's just not. So San Antonio is my favorite out west. Um, listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. Fellas, we went extra long on this one, but we had to, man. It was a good flow. We were in a good flow. Um I hope the listeners out there, you enjoyed our NBA talk. That's going to conclude this episode of the Real Sports Guys. Uh, D. Wills, you got the party shot tonight. You got two minutes. Go. Well, hey, first of all, it always is good to get back on the air with y'all. And, you know, given I'm going to close it like you started, you know, um, as we close out March Madness, it was great to, to witness an amazing run, uh, particularly by the Wildcats who was going for 40-0 and 0 and, uh, had a tough battle but lost. Those Badgers who proved that you can win a certain way when you keep guys together, who trust each other, 
and I committed to it. You can go for that run, led by Kaminsky and Decker. But also, a guy like Izzo, man, reminding us of his greatness and his ability to rally his Spartans and and what he's meant to college basketball since he's been in East Lansing, how difficult that is for me to to admit. But ultimately, at the end of the day, (laughs) Buck O.K., you know, completing his landmark, the whole thousand win kind of march they did this year, ending with his fifth national championship. When you think about the many different ways he had to do it, you know, I'm a Michigan fan. I grew up a Michigan fan, and you know, no other group despises Hokies more than Michigan. Uh, Grant Hill helped recruit some players away from you know uh, uh, the Detroit area. When we think about Battier, who grew up in Detroit, you know, he had a lot to do with that boy Duke. You know, uh, the Fab Five and all that. But at the end of the day, man, you just got greatness is greatness. And uh, we all aspire to it. And we got to tip our hats to him. And until next year, we close the book on March Madness, fellas. Peace. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.